0: Live from York, this is The Late Show with Christopher Vowles.
1: Good evening and welcome. Tonight we're going to be talking about math education in the USA with Dr. Katie Knoll. So join us as we explore US approaches to math teaching, how to help students conquer anxiety and how the math curriculum might be reformed.
0: Live from York, this is The Late Show with Christopher Vowles on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Sunday Late Show. I hope you were spending this weekend stealing yourself for the few teaching days that remain before the Easter holiday. March is typically an action-packed month for us at school here in North Yorkshire and this month has been true to form. March began with my colleague Charlotte and I welcoming our Erasmus Exchange visitors from Ireland, Germany and Czechia to Rydale for the final leg of our joint environmental stewardship project. Our students were given a tour of the wonderful grounds of Duncan Park, learning about the work done by rural landowners and their staff in managing the landscape to satisfy the competing demands of government environmental policies, local planning regulations, the agricultural economy, and the local community. Expertly guided by Anna, and her gamekeeping team through the woodland grassland and river basins of this tranquil estate we learned about the challenges that climate change poses to the birds beasts and fish of our region earlier in the week we had explored the narrow streets quaysides and headlands of whitby learning about the role the iconic abbey had played in shaping christian settlements on the isolated north sea coast as the abbey's various resident communities contended with Viking raids, post-conquest Normanization, dissolution under Henry VIII, and shelling by First World War German battlecruisers. Captain James Cook's history and the town's whaling heritage also featured prominently in our investigations into Yorkshire's relationship with the sea and its resources. In 1814 alone, Whaling vessels operating out of Whitby Harbour brought back 172 whales from waters as distant as Greenland to supply the raw materials for commercial blubber oil lighting and the fashionable corsetry trade. The considerable wealth that whaling brought into the town is still discernible in the Georgian terraces and hotels that line the west cliff on the road towards Sands End. The week also gave our visitors the opportunity to experience some first hand falconry for learning as they were giving a flying demonstration of owls, falcons and eagles by the staff of the National Birds of Prey Centre in Helmsley. There was plenty of classroom work too, of course, as the multinational working groups assembled their final reports before presenting them to the project leaders. And with these presentations my school's involvement with this excellent work came to an end. One of the more unfortunate consequences of the post-referendum Brexit settlement you see is that our school, like all UK schools, is now locked out of the Erasmus Plus scheme, unable to access the financial resources that it provided equally to all participants. The connections that our students have established with their European peers, their exposure to Catholic education in four very different corners of the European continent, and their access to the cultural treasures of a tightly intertwined enlightenment heritage now hang on each school's capacity to fund any future exchange ventures from their own limited budgets. However imaginative we might consider ourselves to be, It is difficult to envisage just how a complex programme of four week-long reciprocal exchange visits might be realised through funding alone. If these connections are to be maintained in the short term, then they will inevitably be on a less ambitious scale. In the medium term, our political leaders really do need to find a way of getting UK school students back into the Erasmus Plus scheme because the Turing Scheme is currently a poor substitute for what we have lost. At the moment, the Turing Scheme only seems to fund the UK half of any school exchange programme, a situation that seems to misunderstand the meaning of the term exchange. As a nation, I'm sure we can find a way to ensure that our children are not missing out on the opportunities enjoyed by their European counterparts when the Erasmus Scheme next comes up for renegotiation shortly after the erasmus visit we welcomed representatives from uk universities and leading employers to our college alongside a couple of hundred students from schools across yorkshire for our higher education conference day this year the event happened to coincide with our heaviest snowfall day of 2023 so far so the drive-in reminded me of one of those 1980s handheld monochrome car games, where you have to weave your vehicle between slower traffic, discarded petrol cans and oil slicks. In the space of a 30 minute drive, I managed to pass one fallen tree, a large fallen branch, two cars that had skidded off of the carriageway into a hedge and a fellow driver who had inexplicably pulled out of a traffic jam on a gritted road to turn straight into an uncleared country lane and get instantly stuck in a shin deep drift. Fortunately, things had cleared up by the time most of our guests arrived and the worst of the snow had gone by the afternoon. Our students enjoyed the chance to meet the speakers and start thinking about the alternative futures that might await them after their year 13 public exams on what is typically one of the most satisfying events that our school hosts each year. The rest of the month, has been taken up with examining GCSE English language speaking and listening tests.
2: A large amount of... ...from
1: their preferred universities... They all seem to recognise that the imminent Easter holiday represents their last substantial independent opportunity to acquire the knowledge and techniques they need to see them through the summer terms exams. Tonight's show will see us address the subject of anxiety strategies from a slightly different angle as we consider The Pressures Faced by Math Students in the USA with my guest, Dr. Katie Knoll. Katie holds a doctorate in mathematics education, is a professional member of the National Speakers Association and an accredited master trainer and certified practitioner in Emotional Freedom Technique, EFT, with additional training in trauma. A two-time TEDx speaker, Katie works both in person and online to help students and the wider community dissolve what she describes as their waffles, that is worry, anxiety, fear, frustration, lethargy, exhaustion, and stress. She has extensive experience of teaching math to college students, struggling with issues of low motivation and self-esteem. Katie is based in Florida, and I'm pleased to say is with us now. Katie, would you mind calling in now and I'll bring you in on the line? Good evening, Katie. It's great to have you with us on Teachers Talk Radio tonight.
2: Thank you so much, Christopher. Can you hear me okay?
1: We can hear you loud and clear. Perfect.
2: Great, great.
1: I've given our listeners an accurate overview of your work, but is there anything else you would like to add before we begin?
2: Um, you know, I've always felt like education was the way to climb up and out of um, a situation that you, want, you don't want to be in. And that's why I went for as much education as I could, even in my mid-50s, which is when I started my PhD program.
1: Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. Um, when I was 18, Christopher, I had five goals that I wanted to accomplish by the time I was 25. And the number one goal was to earn my PhD by the time I was 25. The actual life experience was at 25, I was working on my master's in statistics and I felt like, okay, I'm moving in the right direction. However, um, I was married, which was not on my goal list. And I was pregnant, which was also not on my goal list. (laughs) By the time our youngest of three children were 25, at that time I was working for college in administration and they honor advanced degrees. I went to my supervisor and my family and said, what do you guys think about me going back? And they all said, and why? And I said, it was just one of my life goals. So I went, um, took studies uh, at night for four years and earned my PhD in math education from Florida Institute of Technology. I can't hear you.
1: In describing her um, unusual route into math teaching. Katie, you with us?
2: Yes, uh, for some. Sorry, reason, we yes, lost so. you
1: there briefly.
2: Yeah, it's going in and out and I'm not sure why I apologize.
1: You were just telling us about um, your route into uh, math teaching, I think, just yes. before we lost you.
2: Okay. Um, so with a PhD in math education, I was then eligible to be able to teach at the college level. And as an administrator at the college, they were, I, know, I knew that they were always looking for math instructors. So I happily took whatever courses they gave me. They decided that I could uh, work with the students who were not science or math educators. You know, they, they were going to go into general courses. And they just needed one or two math classes to finish, most of them had already taken a math class in the past and many of them had already failed. They did not have a good attitude at all about math and were reluctant to um, get involved into another math class.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. So that that takes us into the classroom, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. What is your current view of the state of American math education at the moment? I know there's been some significant turbulence recently about changes (laughs) to curriculum materials. Could you expand on that for us, for our audience, please?
2: Yeah, uh, Christopher, I don't think that there's enough changes coming in. Um, From what I can see, from my perspective, in American education system, when we teach math, we teach way too much math and in not enough depth. We do more parroting where we just ask the students to follow along with us rather than having them think and discover on their own. For instance, formulas or how things might be used. Um, most recently, there is um, a momentum in America, and specifically in Florida, to um, have the state control a lot of the educational curriculum. And I don't mean that it's necessarily the process of how students learn. It's more, they're more concerned with what they call critical race theory, CRT. Um, And so they're editing a lot of the books. They're banning many books, the county to two counties south of us, which is about 40 miles away is banned 1,200 books, including um, Dr. Seuss, (laughs) uh, Hop on Pop, because they feel like it is violent on fathers. So there's a lot of proposed changes that they're implementing, and um, specifically, they're targeting a lot of the curriculum books.
1: Thank you. So, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff going on over there at the moment, isn't there? I've recently seen a story in the news that's reached us in the UK about a principal being essentially forced to resign after <laughs> presenting some students with a picture of Michelangelo's David. What's the current feeling around that where you are?
2: Um, personally, I'm astonished. The principal was fired because it was the art teacher who was teaching in, we we call them um, charter schools. So the charter schools are a little different than public schools. In a charter school, they frequently have a focus. For instance, they may have a focus like um, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. They may have a focus on writing. This particular school had a focus on classics, which makes it all the more unbelievable. Um, And the art teacher was going over classic pieces of art and apparently a parent was offended when their student was exposed to a photograph of the classical statue of Michelangelo. The principal was then fired and the local school boards are um, really jockeying for position in order to do more of this overview of curriculum that is really taking away the incentive for the teachers
1: thank you so that that's that gives us a sense of what's happening with that particular story but surely maths is immune from all this isn't it it's just numbers and (laughs) symbols
2: (laughs) you would think so christopher a lot of the math books have been requested to be rewritten um, because of the word problems And they feel like the word problems um, have stories in them that may adversely affect children. So they are specifically looking at any word problems. Uh, For instance, one of the books that was banned for a second grade student was uh, the story of a person by the name of Rosa Parks. Now, Rosa Parks was a young Black woman who um, got on a bus in Alabama, and in Alabama at the time, um, the law was that black people, African Americans, had to give up their seats if a white person came and needed a seat. And Rosa refused to give her seat. Now she's a historical figure, you know, making a huge contribution to society. And that particular book was banned. So in the math books, any word problem that, for instance, if they are talking about graphs and when they're talking about graphs, if they're comparing data, um, comparing uh, African-Americans to white Americans, uh, and it's not complementary, those kinds of things are being forced to be rewritten, which is crazy as far as I'm concerned, but that's what they're doing.
1: Well, wow, that's quite something. We're sometimes worried over here that our education system may be being a bit too politicized, but that <laughs> sounds that sounds a step beyond what we've encountered. Is it something that's going on in states neighboring Florida as well, or is it a Florida issue, do you think?
2: Oh, yes, it's, it's going on in multiple states, uh, Texas, uh, Georgia, Alabama, and surprisingly, some of the northern states as well, Michigan. Um, so it's it is a concentrated effort throughout the United States. There are a few states that are holding out, uh, but I don't know. I don't know how long they'll be able to do that. But you and I both know, Christopher. Uh, you don't have to look too far back in history to see that banning books is a precursor for other things that people may not be comfortable with
1: yeah you do sometimes wonder where it's going to end Mm -hmm. and in terms of the maths education system itself how happy are maths teachers with the content that it gets their students to learn
2: you know that's an interesting question christopher in florida the individual schools receive money from the state based on the progress of the individual students. So it's a multi-tier process. So the state can provide money to the school if the school has attained a certain number of criteria. Um, And it goes even further that the instructors can receive a bonus or extra money if their individual class has exceeded expectations. Now. That concept was based on trying to make sure that the school districts were accountable. The taxes that we pay in Florida through our property taxes, the majority of the taxes go towards a school district. And some people wanted to have some more accountability to um, for the school district and they came up with this plan. Now, there are many problems <laughs> with this plan Uh, The first thing is, if you have a student who is incapable of achieving grade level success, um, getting them from one point to another can be more than challenging. Alternatively, if you have a student who is over exceeding their grade level, they're not going to go any higher. So you're working with um, the students in the middle. And there are some classes where a teacher has, the entire class is those students who are incapable of learning at what other people would consider would be a, a progress that others are capable of. And so those, those teachers are penalized, that school is penalized. Um, and so the teachers obviously can get very frustrated because they're still putting in all the work They're still doing everything they can to um, make sure that the students are getting the learning that they need. The amount of testing that our students go through is unbelievable. They have to do, in addition to their regular chapter tests, their regular um, end-of-term tests, but many students have to complete what they call an end-of-course test in order to graduate. I'm right now I'm tutoring one student who during his freshman year took algebra one and was within three points of getting the grade that they wanted him to get. And so they may be holding him back from graduating from high school now because he didn't score that magic number. And truthfully, did he learn anything in the class? Probably not as much as you'd like to think because the focus is about getting the students to memorize formulas and to find a place to use them. Personally, I feel like math is all about finding patterns, finding um, a way to use the information we need and to look for solutions. And we don't do that for our students. One one of the most interesting things, uh, Christopher, that I saw in America, if a teacher asks, a student to come to a board to solve a problem it, more than likely the teacher is going to ask what the teacher feels like is the best performing student come to the board demonstrate the problem so everybody can see how it's done in Japan when a instructor see assigns uh, a problem the instructor then will walk through the class <clears throat> and um, to see how everybody's doing And once they see how everybody's doing, they will find the student who is struggling the most. We would never do that in America. Find the student who's struggling the most, ask them to come to the board and to show what they're thinking. And in showing them what they're thinking, the rest of the class then encourages the student and helps them to see how to move forward. The idea of doing that in America the, student, the students would be scared to do that. In kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, they are taught that all you have to do is get the right answer. It doesn't matter how you get it, but you just gotta get the right answer. And that's not the way I teach math. Um, yeah. How do you
1: think some of your math teaching colleagues in the States would uh, deal with the task of bringing up the weakest student to the front of the room? <laughs>
2: Well, first of all, most of my compatriots, are we don't have enough time. We don't have enough time in the classroom to be able to do anything. It's like we have to run through all of these different subject matters to be able to finish the class. I found that in my dissertation when um, we had a group of college instructors that we talk to them about how to introduce metacognition to their students so the students might be able to perform better. Now, the teachers were all in it and loved the idea, loved finding out more about it. Um, and, um, And they all said, this is really great. This is wonderful. We love this. And we don't have enough time in our classroom to teach this. So that's the biggest problem we have.
1: And could you just remind us, Katie, at which points your older students sit uh, public examinations? Where do they take place in your students' academic careers?
2: So um, our high school students take um, national tests um, in their junior and senior year. That is for college. Now, in the PISA uh, pizza tests, they do that in fourth grade and I believe in seventh grade to check to see how United States ranks nationally, um, internationally, I'm sorry. And they found that United States students rank 32nd internationally. There are 31 other countries that have stronger math scores than we do. Now, the average ranking for those scores is 25. So we're way below the average. When I tell people this, I always challenge them to, can you name 31 other countries that are similar to America in any way? And it's surprising that, you know, we're ranking so low. Number one is Japan. And I think it's because of their the way that they teach. They don't teach Um, a lot of differences and they go deep and they allow the students to be able to um, learn and find it for themselves, which is great.
1: It sounds like from the example you described earlier, of the weaker student coming up to the board in the Japanese classroom, that the emphasis seems to be perhaps more on identifying problems and then collaboratively working through to solutions. Uh, How easy do you think it would be to get the U.S. education system to move in a similar direction? Would it require (laughs) lots of assessment redesign? Would it require a complete change of the way you set your classrooms up?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think it'd be that much, Christopher. I think that the biggest struggle with that teachers would be afraid to try something too new and too different because of the way the teachers and consequently the schools are ranked for funding. So, you you know, they don't want to upset the apple basket too much. And because there's so many tests that the students have to go through, they don't have the time. They don't don't have time during the, the classroom. So you might be able to do that for a few sections of your math book, but there's no way you could get through all the material That you have to go through because it takes more time right it takes time to be able to stop and look and identify where where are people struggling and how can i help them and that's really the best thing about teaching right that's what teaching should be about
1: i think so i think that's what it's about Um, but sometimes i'm not quite so sure when i see the exam timetable come out and look at precisely how soon we've got to get students through what's left to be taught um, i've recently been talking to some year 13 students so these are students at our school who are kind of 18 19 just about mm-hmm. to complete their final public exams in may june time to go off to university and i've been talking to quite a lot of math students actually in the course of my conversations and For their examinations, they sit two or three papers, depending on which particular system they're following. And our papers have been designed so that there are some questions the students are only able to answer once they've got to the end of a course, which is primarily topic-based in the way they're taught. So that the very last big mark-bearing questions on their paper require them to draw on skills they've acquired from a range of different topics Does a similar approach work in America or are students simply assessed on maths in a fairly segmented way?
2: They, um, the end of course examples that they have are going to have examples of every possible um, equation that they've been exposed to. I hesitate to say the word taught, but they've been exposed to very seldom are the exams a a summary of okay you've been you've had this trig you've had this geometry you've had this algebra now I'm going to present you with a different kind of problem that you probably never had in any of your classes and see how you can um, identify any possible solution that that is not in the exam at all it's more of a a parrot and repeat so the teacher teaches the students here's the quadratic equation i want you to be able to use it on uh, if these number if you have these numbers here so let's see if you can figure it out and that's really what they're taught and what they're tested on
1: And in terms of how the students go about revising that material themselves do they have any particular strategies that they tend to resort to
2: uh the first one seems to be panic (laughs) Uh, they uh, we don't spend a lot of time in our education system teaching our students how to study that that would be along the lines of metacognition unless they are going to like a private school or they have tutoring most students are not taught how to study how to take notes how to review how to identify what you're struggling with go back get help most students don't have that luxury instead they're just given information and said okay memorize this
1: that's quite interesting to hear because there's some really quite interesting cutting-edge stuff coming out of Uh, American education research that seems Mm -hmm. to be suggesting that the more time the students spend on those kinds of metacognitive skills, the better their results are going to be.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we do lots of research on that and then we don't give the teachers time to implement it.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you for giving us such a clear overview of the system as it stands at the moment, Katie. After the news, we will consider some of the anxieties that come with math education in particular and how they might be overcome. So we'll be right back after this.
3: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
4: In a week where Ofsted has found itself under increased pressure and scrutiny following the death of a primary school headteacher, The Independent has focused on the decision by many school leaders to remove references to Ofsted from websites. The removal of logos and other references from school letterheads, websites and other materials is being done in what many describe as solidarity with headteacher Ruth Perry. Other forms of protest against the inspectorate have included the wearing of black clothing and displaying photographs of Miss Perry in schools where inspections are taking place. Unions have also urged Ofsted to pause inspections, and the NEU handed in a petition to the Department for Education, which had forty five thousand signatures, calling for an accountability system that was supportive, effective and fair. In a statement, Amanda Spielman, HMCI, said it would be against children's best interests to pause inspection and that inspection was important for both schools and parents. It has been further revealed by the BBC that inspectors had visited Caversham Primary School, where Miss Perry was head teacher in 2019, as part of a pilot of the latest inspection framework, and that Miss Spilm had also been present. In a newsletter written at the time, Ms Perry said she was proud of how well pupils and staff had responded to the experience and that feedback had been overwhelmingly positive. But a formal inspection in November 2022 rated Cavishan Primary as inadequate as a result of failings in training, record keeping and checks on staff, although it did also state that children were provided with a good education and that the school was a welcoming and vibrant community. In a statement Amanda Spielman said that the the debate about reforming inspections to remove grades was legitimate but any changes would need to meet the needs of parents and government and the spokesman for the Prime Minister said, We are confident the current rating system provides the right level of transparency for parents. In Manchester, students at the city's university who have been refusing to pay their rent in protest at high costs, have been removed from a university building by bailiffs. The group of rent strikers had occupied the University of Manchester's Simon Building, and videos on the BBC News website appeared to show some protesters being carried out. A spokesperson for the university said it regretted the action, but that the protest had been going on for a significant amount of time. Campaigners said the situation was disgraceful and shamed the university. Around 250 students cancelled payments in January and demanded a 30% reduction in rent, arguing they were struggling to buy food amid the cost of living crisis. A smaller group occupied the building. And it was this group who were removed by bailiffs enforcing a court order after they had ignored multiple requests to leave at the university of birmingham a recovery flat where students with different addictions can live together to help them complete their studies has been opened the bbc reports on the program which is being pioneered by the university and is trying to help students stay addiction free the Vale, a huge student village near the campus in Edgebaston, is home to thousands of undergraduates. In one of the large blocks of flats, six units have now been set aside for students in recovery. Supported by a peer manager, the flats are alcohol and drug free and currently are male only, although it is hoped another flat for six female students will open next year. The hope is that students can enjoy university life without missing out on support. The programme is supporting the Better Than Well project, which currently supports around 50 students, and was set up to help students with addictions to be successful at university and with their recovery. On South Townside, a primary school in Jarrow kick-started their Kindness Matters Week, as it became the first Kindness Matters school in the area. Pupils at St Joseph's Catholic Primary School and its staff were asked, what does kindness mean to you? And in the run-up to the main event, completed a 30-day kindness matters challenge kindness matters was set up in 2012 by john mcgee known as the kindness coach and it teaches kindness and well-being to school children and teachers mcgee visited the school as part of the week where he led a super learning day focusing on what the pupils had done so far and what they would do next to help the world be more kind this has been your teachers talk radio news with joe fox
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello,
5: this week I've got to episode 60. What better to celebrate 60 episodes but look at what potentially happens every 60 seconds online and do it in 60 seconds. To do this I've used the term infographic in my search. Infographics are a great way to show visually a lot of data. They're not just for IT concepts and I'd recommend seeing if you can find any that represent your subject. The most recent infographic I found was in a blog by Steph. Called "What Happens in an Internet Minute." Feel free to look her up and read her research. Right, here we go. Start the countdown. In an internet minute, 174,000 apps are downloaded, 16.2 million texts are sent, 231 million emails are sent, 694 million songs are streamed, 6 million people buy something online, 5.9 million Google searches are made, 44 million people view Facebook live streams, 20.8 thousand active users are on LinkedIn. million people are active on Facebook. 575,000 tweets are sent. 46,000 searches are done on Pinterest. 66,000 photos and videos are shared on Instagram. 2 million Snapchats are sent. 167 million videos are watched on TikTok. 452,000 hours of content are streamed on Netflix. 3.67 million YouTube videos are watched. And that's just the headlines of an internet minute. That's a lot of data flying around. On the biggest network of networks there is the internet. As always, if you have a question on tech, why not send it to at TTRadioOfficial. I'm Steve Woods, and that was 2 Minute Tech.
0: 2 Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back to our show on math education and anxiety with Dr. Katie Knoll. In the opening section of the show, Katie gave us an excellent description of her experiences of the maths classroom in the United States. In this section, I'd like us to consider some of the specific anxieties that students of mathematics encounter during their course of study and to explore some of the ways in which these might be alleviated. So tell me, Kate, what factors might cause students to develop an anxiety for math and are the triggers for math any different from those in other subject disciplines?
2: Great question, Christopher. I um, would ask students when they would come into my office, why can you not register for a math class? And over and over again, I got basically the same two answers. One, somebody told them math is difficult. And two, and somebody told them they're no good at math. Now, nobody does this for writing or English or history or anything else. But because math is taught, and I covered that a little bit earlier, where we're looking for the right answer, if students can't get the right answer, they're told math is difficult and you're no good at math. When I first heard that, Christopher, I started just talking to the students and saying, Was that person right about everything and do you think that there's a chance that they could have been wrong and I would use cognitive skills to try and open up the possibility that math may be easy and that they may be good at it. That worked for some students Christopher, but the grand majority of them had been told those two statements over and over and over again from a very young age that it was basically printed in their brain I then that's when I started looking for solutions I googled how do I help students overcome fear and anxiety in math and test taking and surprisingly Christopher I found nothing (laughs) what I did find was there's all of these hints and things you can do if somebody's in a math class and needs tutoring or needs study tips or um, that kind of advice. But there was nothing out there that would talk about how do you help them just overcome the idea about the fear and anxiety about math. But I recognized my problem as a word question. And as we know, in a word question, you just extract what is the most relevant. So I started Googling, how do you just get rid of fear and anxiety? And that was in 2010, when I found Nick Ortner's Tapping Solutions Summit. I watched all 10 days and bought the book, bought the DVD and thought, I wonder if it'll work. Because Christopher, in those 10 days of the summit, they talked about using emotional freedom technique, EFT or tapping, for finances, for relationships, for um, addictions. Nobody mentioned math, nobody mentioned test taking. So I had no idea if this was gonna work or not. But what I did have was a classroom full of terrified students who needed one class left to graduate to be able to go on with their lives. And they were desperate and they would try anything. So I asked them if they would be open to trying tapping. They didn't know what it was. I hadn't been trained and really didn't know what it was. And we tried it. And then we just waited. What I found is one by one, they started coming back and saying, I'm not sure, but I think I'm passing the math class. (laughs) (laughs) Christopher, I'm not sure who was more surprised, them or me.
1: (laughs) Yes, I I can imagine in that scenario. So tell us about this therapy then. How does it work?
2: So emotional freedom technique is a brain based somatic technique. by that, I mean uh, the brain base is we're changing the neurons in the brain. And the somatic means that we're working on the body and talking. So it consists of the basic recipe consists of tapping on eight parts of our body. So we tap on the top of our head, The next spot is above our nose, over our eyebrow, right on the edge of our eyebrow. The next spot is on the temple between our eye lit, our edge of our eye, and our hairline. And the next spot, Christopher, is where I keep all my bags for quick getaway, and that's under my eyes. The next one is under our nose, above our lip. Then we go from under our lip, above our chin. And then we use both hands to tap on our collarbone. And the last spot is about four inches under our arm right on our ribs. This is all based on the work of Gary Craig, who watched uh, people like Dr. Callahan with his Thought Field Therapy and found ways to easily do this. Um, And Gary Craig is an electrical engineer. And when he saw what Callahan was doing and how he was using traditional Chinese medicine meridians, he saw those meridians as electrical wires. And he found those eight points, as I mentioned, as a place that would hit 96 to 97% of your meridians and thereby clearing up any barriers that you might have. So Christopher, would you like to try it?
1: I'm happy to give it a go, Katie. Yep.
2: <laughs> okay. So I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions. Um, the first question is in the last 24 to 48 hours, have, what, have, what, have, what has happened that may have caused you waffles, worry, anxiety, fear, frustration, lethargy, exhaustion, or stress?
1: Oh, um, writing my introductory script in between seeing a family for Sunday lunch was uh-huh. fairly stressful.
2: Okay, okay. Now um, it, yeah, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, and my daughter being too ill to go to church this morning, that was a bit of ah. a challenge at 10 o'clock this morning.
2: Okay, okay. So, as it turns out, with tapping, you don't even have to say what it is you want to work on, which gives uh, clients a sense of protection, right? I've had clients who said, oh, I'm too embarrassed or I don't want to say. And I say, that's fine. So we'll talk about how you feel about it. So you can pick either the introduction or your daughter. Which one would you like to work on today?
1: Uh, Let's go with the uh, pressure to get out the house on time this morning for church.
2: Okay. Okay. And when you think about this morning that there was all this pressure to get out of the house uh, to get to church, What negative emotion is coming up now, right now, as you're speaking about it?
1: Oh, I'm a little bit upset (laughs) because I haven't been for a while.
2: Okay. Okay. And from the top of your head down to your toes, where does that feeling of a little bit upset fit in your body? Where do you feel it in your body?
1: Oh, typically around the middle of my chest.
2: Okay. Middle of your chest. And from 0 to 10, where 0 is like, oh, it's no big deal, you know, we'll get there on time. And 10 is the most upset you've been in your entire life. What would you rank the upset that you're feeling right now?
1: I think that would be a 6.
2: Okay, very good. Um, and is this a true statement? Right here, right now, I feel safe.
1: It is, yes. Good.
2: Okay, and for those in the listening audience, if that's not a true statement, you can use right here, right now, I accept the way I feel, or right here, right now, someday I hope to feel safe, something that's true for them. So, um, Christopher, what we'll do is take either hand and put your palm in front of your nose. You see it?
1: Okay, this is great for radio people, but I am putting my palm in front of my nose. Does it have I, to touch my nose or just in front of my nose?
2: It doesn't have to touch your nose. And I would okay. caution anyone who's listening while they're driving to not do this. <laughs> i come back to it later. <laughs> and then take the other hand that's not in front of your nose and take the four fingers of that hand and tap on the side of the hand that's on uh, by your little finger so it's between your wrist and your little finger you're going to tap right there you got it yeah okay and and then repeat after me changing any words that you feel like are not true okay so say even though
1: even though
2: i remember this morning
1: i remember this morning
2: trying to get out out of the house to get to church on time
1: trying to get out of the house to get to church on time
2: and right here right now i feel upset
1: and right here, right now, I feel upset.
2: And I'm sorry, did you say in the middle at the top of your chest? Where did you say it was?
1: Uh, middle of my chest. Usually. middle of
2: my chest. And I feel it in the middle of my chest.
1: And I feel it in the middle of my chest.
2: Right here, right now, I feel safe.
1: Right here, right now, I feel safe.
2: And then we'll repeat versions of that two more times. Even though... Even though... I feel a little upset in the middle of my chest.
1: I feel a little upset in the middle of my chest.
2: When I think about...
1: When I think about
2: this morning, trying to get out of the house.
1: This morning, trying to get out of the house.
2: To get to Church.
1: To get to Church?
2: Right here, right now, I feel safe anyway.
1: Right now, right here, right now, I feel safe anyway.
2: And the last time, you're still tapping on the side of your hand… even though… Even though I remember this morning.
1: I remember this morning.
2: Trying to get out of the house.
1: Trying to get out of the house.
2: Just trying to get to Church.
1: Just trying to get to church.
2: And when I think about it now.
1: And when I think about it now.
2: I'm feeling a little upset.
1: I'm feeling a little upset.
2: In the middle of my chest.
1: In the middle of my chest.
2: Right here, right now I feel safe anyway.
1: Right here, right now I feel safe anyway.
2: And then you can use one hand or the other hand or both and tap on the top of your head. and yeah. say that I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
1: I'm upset in the middle of my
2: chest. And above your nose, on the edge of your eyebrow... I'm tapping along with you... uh, You say, I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
1: I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
2: And then on the side of the eye, between the eye and the hairline, I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
1: I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
2: Under your eye, I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
1: I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
2: Under the nose, I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
1: I'm upset in the middle of my chest
2: under the lips, above the chin. I feel upset, in the middle of my chest.
1: I feel upset in the middle of my chest.
2: Cross your hands at your wrist and tap on your collarbone and say I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
1: I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
2: And then under your arm and your ribs you're going to thump on there and say I'm upset on the middle of my chest.
1: I'm upset in the middle of my chest.
2: And then blow all your air out. <laughs> <laughs> now christopher when you think about this morning and trying to get out of the house to get to church the upset from zero to ten it could go up it could stay the same or it could go down how does it feel now
1: how does it feel now this moment yes oh i'd say two as somebody who's not Ah. often (laughs) stressed Ah. weirdly Uh, two
2: yeah so you could repeat that again and it would go down to zero now, clinical studies have shown that tapping like that, when you get it down to zero, you will no longer be upset when you're trying to get out of the house and going to get to church. It, 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 it won't come back, which is interesting because when you use cognitive behavior therapy or talk therapy, it can return, which is not good. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So the, the students themselves, when they're going through this process, is this something they do <clears throat> together in a group or is it something they do individually?
2: Good question. Um, I lead when I'm teaching math, I lead the class in a group tapping. However, it is most effective when it's individual because everybody's going to have a different emotion, right? Somebody might say upset, somebody might say frustrated, somebody might say angry, and it might be in a different spot in their body. So instead of the middle of their chest, I've had people say, it's in my little toe, it's in my elbow. And so you substitute what is specific for that particular person. And so my greatest successes are when I have people doing it individually,
1: that's interesting to hear, actually. Um, is there any kind of uh, common connection with perhaps the patterns associated with acupuncture?
2: Absolutely. Um, the points that we are tapping on are acupuncture points that are definitely tied into individual organs. For instance, when we tap about four inches below our, our armpit on, on our ribs, that is addressing our spleen channel under our um, under our eye is our stomach channel and so when we say you know I'm, I'm feeling upset or whatever in my stomach sometimes I will stop and tap under the eye a little bit longer um, so yes they are definitely related to acupuncture because they're all based on traditional Chinese medicine
1: And how widespread is this practice in the schools that you visited?
2: (laughs) Well, there is one school, a middle school that uh, teaches fifth, sixth and seventh grade students in California. They've been doing this for years. They do six minutes of tapping every day. It includes the students, the teachers, the administrators, the uh, support staff. Everybody does six minutes of tapping a day. And they found in doing that, that the test scores went up, that the discipline problems went down, and even the special education kids were able to accomplish more. So there are not enough schools that are doing this, but it's not because I'm not trying to reach them. (laughs) Because I'm now a master trainer, I reach out all the time to try and find people who are open to learning this.
1: And how does it form part of a package of techniques that classroom professionals can use to help students manage feelings of anxiety and stress?
2: There are so many techniques to manage this, but most most instructors, most administrators, most people don't address it because there's just not enough time. And so what they do is they have they have the students just do the very best they can, and the students who have the anxiety those are the ones that maybe pass or don't don't do well in the classroom, and they're just they're just you know they they're not allowed to continue on they're stopped and um, and can't go forward, which is really sad.
1: Okay. Thank you. Um, We're going to go to a break now, Katie, and then we're going to come back and explore what the US education system in math and beyond could do better. So (laughs) are you happy to talk about that in the final section of the show?
2: Oh, I have so many great ideas. (laughs) Yeah,
1: We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to our show on Math Education and Anxiety with Dr. Katie Knoll. So in the first section, we were talking about um, the education system generally in the United States and maths education in particular. In the second section, we've gone through a demonstration of a particular technique that Katie uses to help students de-stress. Uh, as they prepare for assessments and for exams and for their general experience, actually, of being in the classroom. I think it extends to that too. I wonder, Katie, if we could explore now what things could be fixed to make students do better in maths in the US and in their studies more generally.
2: Oh, gosh. Um, There's so many things, Christopher, that I think that we could be doing. And I I will tell you, we have five granddaughters. Um, One granddaughter is attending a private school, so she's getting a different approach. Two granddaughters are attending the public school system, and two granddaughters are being homeschooled that is, their parents are teaching them. Um, The one in private school and the homeschool students are allowed to go at their own pace. For instance, homeschool students um, the mother is focused on teaching the children how to read because she believes, rightly so, if somebody knows how to read they can learn anything. Um, And I'm kind of excited to share with you that they let me teach the the six-year-old math. So what do I do? I, I tell the mother that she's in charge of teaching them addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And I teach my six-year-old granddaughter graduate level math because she didn't know. (laughs) And she's eating it up. So we're going over um, uh, Venn diagrams and uh, set theory and learning. I mean,
1: I wonder how that idea, I think it's an important idea and a good one about allowing students to go at their own pace. I wonder what the challenge might be in trying to make it happen in that kind of bigger context of the high school classroom, or the junior school classroom, or the college classroom?
2: It's a challenge. Um, The number one challenge is the sheer numbers of students that the instructors have to teach. They have, in in the younger grades, kindergarten, first, second, there's a limit of like 20 students in our public school system. But then once they get to um, third, fourth, and fifth, It can go up to 25 and 30 students. And trying to identify where each student is in their own uh, abilities and then set individual goals for them is a massive undertaking. Now, my two granddaughters who are in public school have parents that are really focused on their educational progression. Not all students have that luxury. Many of the um, adults in the community where I live are working not just one job. Some of them are working two and sometimes three jobs. So the idea of being able to take care of their students educational component is overwhelming. Just absolutely overwhelming. Um, so, I mean, my, grand, my grandchildren are blessed. They, they are lucky. but. To answer your question, Christopher, it would be a mammoth undertaking to identify where each student was in each subject and to give them work. For for instance, for the students who are struggling with a subject uh, to allow them to continue in the subjects that they enjoy, maybe they love history, let them go into history and and let them find out about math and history, let them. Let them let them look up the history of everything. Well, you you can't manage that one student, you know, on on top of everything else. Um, it it would be it would be overwhelming.
1: That's interesting. So that sounds like a, a kind of route to a kind of further personalization of that mm-hmm. learning experience. Mm-hmm. Something that's um, reached the top of the well, relatively high up the political agenda here recently has been the concept floated by the government here that all students in England would be expected to study some kind of maths education up to the age of 18. Mm -hmm. And there's been a kind of mixed response to that suggestion. Mm. Uh, Does something similar happen in the US and would it work?
2: So yes, um, students in the United States in public school have uh, 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 mandatory math classes that they take um, now, some students who either the student, the parent, or the teacher feels like they won't be successful in algebra or geometry, they are funneled into a different kind of math class and actually one that everybody should be taking. So it covers things like finances and everyday kinds of uses of math. Um, and more away from the theoretical, but yes, every student in America and public school has mandatory math classes.
1: So one of the big worries for us is that we probably don't have enough trained math teachers in the country to deliver such a program here. Are there training issues in American <laughs> schools with math at the moment?
2: Absolutely. And even, even having them trained after they're trained to uh, get them to stay in the schools is a challenge um you know we don't we don't address the children's emotional level and our children come from a variety of home environments and we think oh we've got them for what five or six hours during the day we should be able to to get all of this stuff done but you know (laughs) there's a whole bunch of hours there that they're not in school and what they are being taught at home or more importantly not being taught at home can really make a difference and we don't address or even ask about a student's emotional issues i know i I would go into the high schools um, on a weekly basis and i was once a week once a week i would have more than one student come up to me and say, you know, I've been kicked out of my home, I know I have no place to live, I'm homeless. How can somebody study when <laughs> when they don't know where they're going to be sleeping that night? Um, and, we, and, and in a school, we don't address that, not at all.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, one of the solutions that exists in my school to help students develop their math skills is to turn to various technological answers. So Mm -hmm. there's a number of programs that our students use on their iPads and on their (laughs) laptops that help Mm -hmm. them improve their particular strengths in areas where they're weak. So it keeps hitting them with more and more questions Mm -hmm. of the type that they need more practice on and they work through all of their topics until they feel comfortable with all of them. But of course if you go into the family home and the family don't have access mm-hmm. to that same level of technological support then the system that you're putting in place to improve things just simply drives division
2: right exactly exactly
1: how did your students get on in the us with covid learning things online
2: oh gosh christopher it was um it was very challenging for exactly the reason that you mentioned um so many of the schools found the money and were very generous in making sure that every child had a computer. Uh, but having a computer without internet at home wasn't a solution. Um, so many students backslid and were unable to stay up with their grade level. Um, we had, I know, at the colleges, the number of registered students in the colleges even this year is down substantially than what it was before covid so there were so many students who were unable to finish their schooling or just said you know what i didn't like it anyway i'm getting out and doing something else now i i think that there's a lot of good to be said for colleges and for everyone i think that um I know I'm very thankful when my plumber and my electrician (laughs) and my mechanic come in and do things and my mechanic told me the other day he's having a hard time trying to find help and he said all they do is they see that I'm working in, in grease and oil but they don't know that I'm making six figures a year and and so they shy away from it you can make a very good living and not have a lot of loan debt <laughs> uh, that's Michael.
1: interesting yeah, yeah maths teachers in the uk are almost as rare as plumbers
2: yeah 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 yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: and in terms of how you sense teachers are valued at the moment in mm. society is there any work that government could do or that uh, Particular standard bearers for education could do to improve that situation.
2: Probably the first thing is to look at the average pay that, uh, at least in Florida, that a teacher gets. I know um, I'm I'm work with a nonprofit called United Way, and part of what we look at is the middle population that are working and yet are having trouble making ends meet. There's a surprising number of teachers in that group that they're making a salary but you know if they have if they have a car problem on one month though the whole thing falls apart so I, the first thing would be to to address the the pay difference um, teachers just are not paid what they worth and a lot of people think oh well they get the summer off and they get two weeks off you know christmas and they get all this time off but they don't understand how much time it does take to prepare um for class and to um, get themselves ready for all the testing and things that they're doing. So the, the biggest thing is the pay. The other thing it would be um, giving them some respect, telling a teacher who's got their master's degree and is teaching that, oh, you don't know enough about what curriculum you wanna use, so I'm gonna tell you what curriculum I'm gonna, you're gonna use. And this is coming from a legislator who has not had the training or understanding of why it's important to view a statue such as the Michelangelo uh, and to comment on it. Um, And so it's respect. There's there's a a funny saying, Christopher, going around that said, it would be really great if the teachers and the education had all the money they needed. And when the uh, government needed a new plane, they had to have a bake sale. (laughs) Because so many of our our school districts um when they want to do something when they want to um have something going on they've got to figure out how to come up with the money themselves and and they just there's just not enough money in there
1: yeah there's there's always the challenge of finding money it's one of those Mm -hmm. things where you know i think if i ever became a rich person and was rich enough to give up work, I'd still want to do some kind of teaching, mm-hmm. some kind of working with young people to, mm-hmm. to help them see bigger things in the world. Right. It's interesting too, the point you make about um, respect for teachers' qualifications. Mm-hmm. Now, the closest I come, I think, to having ever felt a sense of maths anxiety proper, as you've described it earlier, was in my teacher training programme, in London and in England, all of the staff, all of the teachers that go through the training programme at the moment our PGCE course, which is our qualification to teach after you have your uh, first subject degree, requires uh, aspirant teachers to sit down and complete an online timed maths test, hmm. um, complete a series of mental arithmetic tasks where someone reads word problems out to you, you have to extract the numbers from them, write them down on a piece of paper and then type the right answer into the computer huh. in under about 10 seconds, I think, before the time runs out and you just lose the marks. Wow. But I can't remember what the pass threshold was, um, but it was very, very high. And I remember doing all of the practice tests so I thought, well, actually, my maths is a bit rusty. I hadn't really returned to it since finishing... GCSE math at the age of 16 Mm -hmm. and I had to go back and remind myself of how fractions worked and how percentages (laughs) could work on the spur of the moment when you're given a series of numbers and actually rather weirdly it was one of the more satisfying learning experiences I've had because I wasn't working through a textbook going through topic after topic after topic after topic after topic with very little time spent on each one. Hmm. I was actually able to identify, right, I know I need to know this. What's the most effective way of helping me get to that Mm. solution? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I have to say, there was a lot of looking to other people on the Internet for kind of shortcuts with various things. Mm -hmm. And some of the skills I learned to pass that math test, I can still actually use now in daily life. (laughs) Whereas it's a diminishing number of math topics that I still remember as I move into my middle 40s. Is there any way in which um, similar kinds of strategies could be used with teachers in ways that are supportive rather than ways that imply a criticism of their competence?
2: Um, Christopher, again, I I go back to the same things that I've I've been saying is that the teachers feel so much pressure. they, uh, they feel like they're not respected. They feel like there is so much that has to be given out to students that they don't have time for any of these other things, um, which is sad, it's really sad. Because we, we, need to have, we need to have the teachers, we need to, we need to have them understand things like metacognition and, and the emotional being that each student brings into the classroom and how to help them. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's that's tough.
1: And you mentioned the uh, public school system, which uh, on your side of the water means funded by the government.
2: Right.
1: And the private school system in America, is there a, is there a particular imbalance in the ways professionals work in those two different sectors?
2: Uh, definitely, the private schools, usually have smaller class sizes The they have fewer behavior problems and the reason why is because if a student exhibits um, challenging behavior they're expelled because the private school doesn't have to keep them which means that the public school ends up with um, a lot of behavior issues and in the state of Florida it's mandated that you have to be in school until the age of sixteen, and for and usually the students who are having behavior problems, it's emotional, right? I mean, mm. some some of it's physical, some of it is chemical imbalance, but for the most part, it's emotional and their home life um, or what's whatever has been going on, some trauma that may have triggered that, um, and we don't we don't address that. In, in schools. So the private schools usually end up getting the, the students, the parents who are focused on education, who want want to have you know um, a strong education for their child and are not afraid of, um, of explaining to their children what's proper and improper behavior. Now having said all that, there are some excellent public schools that can um, that can, handle, you know, um, the, the issues with, with, um, behavior problems, but for the most part, uh, the public schools aren't trained, don't know, have no idea of how to handle and, and they don't have the time again. Again, we go back to time, money, effort, right. Um, Hmm. To be able to address a problem child. And then what happens, this is interesting, Christopher, what happens is that the student who requires the most attention from the teacher. And so the teacher kind of says, oh, okay, you're a good student over there. I'm not gonna pay attention to you because I've got this problem child, this problem behavior over here. Um, well, it doesn't take too long before the well-behaved students, I'm putting that in, in quotes, the well-behaved students say, hey, they're getting all the attention. All I have to do is misbehave and I can get some attention too. So it just generates this ongoing cycle. Um, And, you know, God bless the teachers. That's one of the reasons why the teachers are leaving is that they don't feel like they have the respect, they don't feel like they have the tools to be able to manage um, all these different issues that, that they're given, that they're given.
1: And you mentioned the leaving age was 16 in Florida. So does it differ between states at the moment?
2: So, I'm not sure um, but in Florida it's 16 and um, there's a lot of students that leave school and they have when they leave school they have to announce where they're going to go so they have to sign a document saying you know I'm leaving public school I'm going to private school I'm going to be homeschooled I'm going to do whatever but homeschool is totally dependent on the ability of the parents right and um, not all the parents have the ability to teach their students um they it's just like my my um my two granddaughters who are being homeschooled both the parents are professionals they're very good they're very strong in math but teaching their daughter all the different aspects of math you know they're going to have to go back and and re reacquaint themselves with trigonometry and (laughs) <laughs> geometry and all the things that they may not use on a regular basis. Now, they're lucky they helped me because I meet with um, the granddaughter on Zoom once a week and, um, and we go over things.
1: Is the homeschool movement particularly big in the US?
2: It's huge. It's huge. In our little county alone, um, we have a very large group, um, well over a couple hundred Um, families that are doing homeschool. And and in the U.S., we have uh, this unique opportunity called dual enrollment, where if a student um, can test into a certain level of reading and math, they can take college classes for free so we have some 14 15 16 year old students who are taking college classes for free and some of those students end up getting a two-year degree before they get their high school diploma which gives them a two-year you know head start on um on college which is not meant for everyone but it's you know it's a great opportunity for those who want it
1: that's quite something by the sound of it so that goes some way perhaps towards meeting your ambition for students to go at their own pace, particularly if it's a quick pace.
2: Right, right, right.
1: What about for the students that the pace is a little bit slower? What support is in place for them at the moment?
2: That's basically nonprofit organizations. Um, the public schools are supposed to be um, equipped to be able to handle the students who are struggling. Um, They have something called an IEP, an individual education plan that students, um, student, a parent, and the teachers and the administrators all meet together and make a decision on it. So, for instance, for a student who is struggling with um, keeping up, the IEP plan may be that they're going to have somebody write notes for that student And um, give them to the student because maybe the student can't keep up with them or if the student is deaf um, or blind um, so the and that's all in the public school you probably won't find that in the private schools and the private private schools are expensive Um, depending on the school you go to it could be as little as $300 a month Um, so for the whole school year it'd be under $3,000 and some of the private schools are twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars a year, um, so yeah, there's there's that difference too is the cost the cost of them.
1: Yeah, so again, perhaps accounting for some of the very specific problems that people encounter in each particular setting, mm-hmm. and if we just think about these students that are homeschooled, then is maths a particular focus of homeschooling for many parents?
2: Uh, I don't know that that's the case. I think that, uh, of course, whatever interests the parents have, that that's what the students going to do. They do. It seems to me that the homeschool students do a lot more hands on kind of activities. They will take trips and um, they will do things um, outside, um, which is great. I mean, it's really wonderful. And you can't always do that with a, a group of 25 to 30 students. So they seem to be more Um, more activity driven I think that there are some parents that can promote the math component um, but what I've seen most of them rely on some of the software that you alluded to Christopher Um, I'm sure you're aware of something called Khan Academy which is a great option uh, for students who are trying to learn on their own Um, and and there are so many online options um that can really make a difference
1: yeah i've I've not heard of that one what's it involve?
2: khan academy was started by mr khan k-h-a-n and i found him years and years and years ago he had a niece who was struggling with handling some kind of equation and she couldn't understand it so she asked her uncle that she knew was good in math and he made a YouTube video. He's like, well, this is how you do the quadratic equation. And so he did that and then she called him again and she called him again. And so he started making all these YouTube videos to help his niece. Well, after a while, he had hundreds (laughs) of these YouTube videos, you know, talking about everything from you know, how to how to generate odds and statistics uh, to trigonometry, geometry, and he would do them all, you know, on YouTube until one day um, he and his wife were in their small apartment and he got a phone call. Somebody asked, um, do you have time to come out to Seattle to meet with Mr. Bill Gates? (laughs) So Bill Gates had heard about um, all of these videos that Mr. Cohen had created and they did a joint venture there is a uh, it's a great great website it's called khanacademy.org and you can ask how do i multiply fractions and there's lots of tutorials and then there will be worksheets and then there are quizzes and um, it just goes on and on and on so a lot of the homeschool um, uh, parents are using Khan Academy to get their s- students, you know, individually tutored through there. And it's it's a great resource.
1: Brilliant. Now that leads me on to a, a question that's very, very current here at the moment. So in English schools at the moment, we're particularly uh, interested to get different views on the use of AI in Teaching and in students preparing their work is that an issue that's current over there at the moment too?
2: I feel for the English teachers, Christopher. <laughs> I think that um, I know that there's software out there now that can interpret uh, whether something's been generated by AI or my friends are calling it HI, human um, <laughs> human uh, um, intelligence, HI for human intelligence uh, instead of AI. Um, But yeah, um, I think that if I was teaching right now, which I'm I'm not teaching right now, I'm tutoring and and, um, training, I would definitely use like chat GPT and things to encourage the students to think about things. Um, Also warning them and explaining that even though it's artificial intelligence, that still is plagiarism.
1: (laughs) Yes, I mean, we've, We've over here encountered a few cases of this Mm -hmm. in particular schools that have come to our attention, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's always easy to tell, usually, when a student (laughs) has used an AI system to generate an essay, usually because it starts with an exceptionally pompous overlong introduction (laughs) that most 17, 18 year olds just don't write, even if they're on the top of their game. Yeah. final question for you katie you've been very generous with your time tonight mm. um is the fact that you have currently a first lady who mm. is a teacher by training a helper or a hindrance for teachers in america
2: i think that dr biden is amazing and that um she's an inspiration for all teachers uh however I don't know her I think her political influence has been uh, minimal and it's more politics that need to be done more than anything Um, I know I know I was excited to see her uh, rise into that position Um, and the fact that she teaches not at a university or you know a state college but a community college which is Uh, In America, those are two-year colleges that award two-year associate degrees. Um, So those are, in some circles, uh, community colleges are dismissed as being year 13 and 14 of high school. I attended community colleges for part of my education, and I found them to be wonderful. Um, I taught at community colleges and found them to be uh, fabulous. But I think her political clout is limited just based on um, what we have going on in our country right now. But yeah, she's inspirational.
1: (laughs) Okay, a great point to close on. So thank you very much, Katie, for your time and your thoughts this evening. Where might our listeners find out more about your work on math education, anxiety and de-stressing?
2: Oh, Thank you, Christopher. I appreciate that. Um, My first TEDx talk was about the experience of um, using tapping with the students, and they can find that on YouTube if they just search for math anxiety. I have about 125,000 views there. If they want to find out more information about me, I have a YouTube channel, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. All of them are by my name, Katie Nall, Ph.D., that's spelled K-A-T-I-E-N-A-L-L, Ph.D. My website is a bit of a um, play on words. I have my last name, Nall, N-A-L-L followed by the word edge, E-D-G-E-C-O.com. It's knowledgecompany.com.
1: Great, thank you very much indeed. I've really enjoyed talking to you this evening, Katie. It's been fascinating.
2: Thank you so much, Christopher. And I have to say, I it is so heartwarming that you're doing this for all the other teachers. I applaud you for all your hard work.
1: Great, thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure all of my colleagues on the station will appreciate those words greatly. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. And um, I hope to perhaps have you on another show in the future when things start to be going in the right direction in US (laughs) math education.
2: That would be great. Thank you, Christopher.
1: Great to talk to you. I hope everyone has gained a clearer sense of the anxieties that students can and do encounter in our classrooms as they seek to navigate education systems in the US and here in the UK. We're all constantly encouraged to place such a premium on competition and terminal assessment. And it's pleasing to hear that there are excellent resources out there that teaching professionals can turn to as they try to support their students in their academic learning and their broader self-development. Thanks to everyone who's tuned in tonight. Do check out our other Teachers Talk radio shows this week and next. Ben Thomas's twilight show on the not-so-secret life of a headteacher on Tuesday the 28th of March seems particularly important in the context of our discussions tonight concerning the effects of high-stakes assessment systems and the current focus on the stresses that come with headship. Poppy Gibson's morning break show on Happy Habits on Friday, The 7th of April also looks like it will be full of uplifting ideas to take into your Easter holiday and prepare you for the challenges of the exam term. As always you can catch up on anything you've missed with our excellent and ever-growing panel of teacher presenters at www.ttradio.org and if you have something you want to say or ask others about education anywhere on planet earth then perhaps you should consider applying to join the station as a show host. We are always on the lookout for those with current or recent experience of the classroom and other less familiar educational settings. All details can be found on our website www.ttradio.org. That's all from me for this month, so thank you again for listening. I wish you a restful and joyful Easter break. And we will speak again in April. Thank you and goodbye.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.